You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of the Hello Income Podcast. I'm Jared Sandler alongside former major leaguer and TV star Mike Bassick. Thanks Mike, for the TV star. You know, I mean, you are. You are a bona fide TV star. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> I bet if the Rangers go on a 20-game win streak, you're going to be doing just fine. They got two so far as we're speaking right now. now Watch you, out. They you, only need 18 more. You it's also, a lot easier to get 18 than 20. You also predicted a shutout with 20 strikeouts for you, Darvish. You I did. A little short on that one. Yeah, well, so he came up a 14K short, which isn't that many when you think about it. <laughs> and uh, he gave up three runs, which... Three runs, three runs, a shutout, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I mean, one and the same. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to make too many more predictions. <laughs> well, you've already made this 20-win streak uh, prediction, 20-game win streak prediction. So what are you going to do if they win 20 straight? I feel like there should be some sort of payoff here. Cheer. Be really happy. Oh, okay. You're I, not going to dye your beard black? I don't think so. I think you should. I already am struggling to look halfway decent on TV. I don't think I need to do anything to really change that up. If you just let your hair go, where would the hair grow and how much could you grow? I think it would be... I'm asking about the top of your head. Mike is, is bald for those who have another <laughs> privilege of watching him on TV. I think if I grew it out like over a six-month period and didn't touch it, I think it'd be very Hulk Hogan looking, where it'd be kind of blonde, stringy. Okay, if the Rangers win 20 straight, <laughs> you cannot touch your hair for six months. I'm dead serious. That would okay. be awesome. If they win 20 straight, I will not touch my head until the Rangers season is over. That's about six months. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So if they win 20 games in a row in August, I'm going to be okay. So that's when you, okay. That's yeah. Because then I just have to grow it out for September. Yeah. And so it'd just be kind of fuzzy. Yeah. But I think if they're winning 20 straight games, they're doing it now. Okay. I don't think that it's going to happen any other time. You heard it here first. Hello, win, Paul, hello, win column podcast. Mike Bassick's going to try to grow out his Hulk Hogan-style hair. If they win 20 games. Yes. In a row. There's not much on top. Not it's much right. going on top. Bald is beautiful, right? I hope so. Thank God for Michael Jordan. Because I was wondering this. 30, 40 years ago, I would have had go. I would have probably had to go buy a wig. Think of Marv Albert and all these broadcasters. It was... No, you don't want to be bald or look bald. That's I don't know what the, the it was a sign of, but... Uh, my grandfather, he had a wig back in the late 70s, early 80s. It just wasn't a thing. You didn't want to look like a bald man. And I think Jordan kind of changed that, where it's like, hey, it looks kind of cool to be bald. I guess I never really thought about that. Like, who who is the first guy to, to make the bald look a, a cool look? So we'll give it we'll give it to Michael Jordan. You know, the ceiling is the roof, so. Yes. I guess it makes sense. All right. So the Rangers, I think, are undefeated in nights before our podcast. Really? The I think so, right? I don't think we've we've had the, a morning after 
on a Thursday at least, where we've talked about a Rangers loss. That's tough because they lose more than they win so far. So far. Now, one thing that's been going well for them, Shinsu Chu in the leadoff spot. All right, so we got a couple of lineup things to talk about. I, the Rangers have obviously had a tough time trying to solidify spots in the lineup and develop consistency because uh, their hitters have not been productive. And, uh, you know, I always thought it was odd in spring training, I said this the other day, where, you know, everyone, I guess, kind of assumed Carlos Gomez was going to be the leadoff hitter. And I kept saying, well, what about Shinsu Chu? And... Everyone's like, no, no, it's Carlos Gomez. And I'm talking about uh, fans, uh, you know, coaches, players assumed it was Carlos Gomez. So I was like, all right, you know, listen, I never claim to know everything. So obviously there's a reason why Carlos Gomez is the obvious choice for the leadoff spot. And it didn't work. It didn't work out. And we've had a few different guys test their luck there. But now Shinsu Chu's getting a chance and seems like he's doing well. I don't know what more you want in a leadoff guy other than ideally having more speed, but man, if the name of the game's getting on base, there's no one better on this team than Shinsu Chu. Yeah, I'm happy with Shinsu Chu every time a right-handed pitcher is pitching against the Rangers starter that he's the leadoff guy the rest of the year. I, I do think there needs to be some sort of consistency in your lineup. I get what Banny's doing. I would be doing the same thing mixing and matching the pieces, trying to figure out a solution on a nightly basis. Because there there hasn't been a an answer provided. Right. Right. But if you can have Chu be your leadoff guy every game a right-handed pitcher pitches, boy, that makes Banny's job a little bit easier because it has been a challenging job as the manager of the Texas Rangers so far. And now if a left-hander is starting, I get it. Maybe Carlos Gomez does go back up to the leadoff spot. But I, I think that there's finally something getting established in this lineup that you can count on. And I know it's early, but I think Chu being the leadoff hitter is the right move uh, the rest of the way against right-handed pitchers. So even though he hits lefties or has hit lefties well this year and even last year, you would, like tonight, the Rangers face Clayton Richard. He's a lefty. I, I Who's think- leading off for you? Chu tonight. Okay. Because nobody else has really stepped up. Maybe you could go to Shields, but I need Chu getting the most at bats possible at this point because right. he is one of your better hitters. Elvis is one of your better hitters. I want to go to Gomez since you brought him up. How much different do you think he is from the mid May Houston Astro Carlos Gomez last year that they totally fell out of love with? Well, I'll start with this. Defensively, he's night and day different. Uh, he was he incredibly erratic. Yeah, he was just incredibly erratic, and it was almost as if he was trying to make up his poor offensive production on defense, and it just it didn't work out. Okay. Now, obviously, though, the the conversation and what you're asking is offensively. I don't think he is Texas Rangers 2016 Carlos Gomez, who seemed to stay within himself a little bit more in the box, still took big cuts. But maybe big controlled cuts. I don't think he's as bad as Houston Astros' Carlos Gomez. And one reason why, and unlike last night where he went over four with four strikeouts, he has at times, not consistently, but demonstrated some patience. He's on pace to shatter his season high in walks. Uh, he's on pace for about 70 walks. This is a really good walk year, especially for a free swinger like that. So I think in that way, he's a little bit different, but he is still at times swinging like a madman, and he he struggled mightily yesterday against the breaking ball. 
How, how do you think the hitting coaches are taking it as they got a lot of credit from Carlos Gomez and other people in the change of Carlos Gomez of 2016? And this year, I'm not – I know some people want to blame hitting coaches for this season or pitching coach for this season, and it's the players who play the game. Those same coaches helped you win 90-plus games last year. And I look at it and I go, man, from a hitting coach's perspective – you felt like you tapped into something that no human being could with Carlos Gomez over the last few years. And then he goes right back to the same old guy he used to be. I just, I feel like, I wonder how frustrating that is as a hitting coach that you felt like you had changed Carlos's mindset at the plate, but he seems to want to revert so much back to the Carlos Gomez that isn't a good hitter. Can I give you one big difference? Okay. And I think this difference applies with Gomez and Odor, both guys who are never going to be incredibly selective, right? I mean, yeah, that's just, I and they can still be really good yeah. without being incredibly selective. I, I call Odor the Aussie Gein approach. If they the throw Aussie, it, yep, I'm go. swinging. So I think the big difference is what's around them. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about production. You know, I, And I don't have numbers on this, but I feel like last year when Gomez came over to the Rangers, just with how good that offense was, he was oftentimes hitting with runners on base. I mean, his first ever at bat with the Rangers was uh, with two guys on. He had a three-run home run, right? So I think that the lack of on base from guys around Carlos Gomez and guys around Rugnet Odor and here recently, those two have been around each other. So they're not helping one another out. But the lack of on base has given pitchers the license to throw everything in the dirt. And as patient as Carlos Gomez might be on a Tuesday, it's tough for him to consistently demonstrate that patience because that's just not him. Yeah. And so, I th- I mean, I just think that's a big difference. And, you know, a lot of people ask, well, how much does, how much did the Rangers miss Adrian Beltre? I think they miss him because we believe, we don't know for sure, but we believe that when Beltre's here, he's going to be a productive offensive player. He's going to be on base way more than most of the guys in this lineup have been getting on base. And I think the domino effect starts there and will allow guys like Rugnet Odor to see more strikes, Carlos Gomez to see more strikes in a bare lineup. There's certain hitters, Mike. I, Joey Votto in Cincinnati. Man, I know that they're off to a good start this year, but he has had some seasons in Cincinnati where he has been surrounded by next to nothing, but he still produces. There are other hitters who you put them in a bare lineup and their numbers are going to drop noticeably. And yeah. fair or unfair, I think Rugnet Odor, as long as he's in a good lineup, is going to thrive offensively. Yeah. To your point, I know this is a little off topic. I'm surprised how good Chris Davis still is in Oakland just because I thought, well, this year they're just going to pitch around him, which sure. is going to be really tough for him because the lineup isn't that strong. But he still really produces with not much around him. Right. And, and you know, could Carlos Gomez do that? I don't know what we've seen so far this year. The evidence this year suggests... Maybe not. Uh, can you, uh, if you don't mind, you told a, a great story. I don't remember if it was on G-Bag or when you joined me on the, the local post here on the fan last week or, or earlier this week. I, who knows? My days are all scrambled. But a great story about Rudy Jaramillo and Josh Hamilton because you and I have both yeah. been getting a lot of questions about the impact of coaches. And we both acknowledge that if things go south for an extended period of time, coaches are usually the first ones. And we're not talking about the manager here. But a hitting coach or a pitching coach, typically the first person to fall on the sword. But 
that doesn't necessarily at all mean it's really their fault. Yeah. It's just easier to part with them than a player. But you you shared a great yeah. story that I think will help uh, help people understand at times uh, what exactly goes on here. Well, Rudy Harmio, the hitting coach of Josh Hamilton in his first few years as a Texas Ranger, has Josh, and Josh is an aggressive swinger, like swinging the bat if the pitcher throws the ball. Well, he had seen four at-bats that night, had seen five pitches that night. So four at-bats, five total pitches. And Rudy, uh, this has been an ongoing thing with Josh for a little bit. So Rudy sits him down before his next at-bat, and they're on in the dugout, and he says, hey, how about the first pitch? Just track it. Just track the first pitch. Do not swing at it. Whatever the pitch is, just time it up. And then the next pitch, if you like it, go ahead and take a rip. But take the first pitch and just track it so you can get better timing on this guy. See what he has. Josh says, all right. Josh goes up to the plate. First pitch. He swings, pops it up to the right side of the infield. First baseman catches it, comes back to the dugout. This is where a professional coach does not show up, a a professional player. Uh, Rudy sits there, and Josh comes by, and Rudy just kind of says, Josh, what happened to the approach and plan? And Josh says, I can't help myself. And so that was the part where Rudy was just like, this is going to be really tough, and he's an awesome hitter. But to get Josh Hamilton to take a pitch or two to see what the pitcher has, to have a better idea of what he could possibly get later in the count, Josh just couldn't help himself. He admitted, I can't help myself, coach. If the ball's thrown, I want to swing. And to, to stop that type of approach, was going to be really hard for Josh Hamilton. And so that just further illustrates the point that, you know, these hitting coaches, Anthony Iaposi and his assistant hitting coach, Justin Mayshore, are not telling Rugnet Odor or Carlos Gomez or, you know, fill in the blank, hey, swing at everything. Go up there and swing at pitches in the dirt. And hey, we don't we don't want you to have a good approach. We want you to expand your strike zone and just try get try, you know, try put the first pitch in play. That that's not what they're saying. Yeah. These guys are preaching to these hitters have a good approach. But, you know, it's up to the player. When the player is in the box, it is up to the player to execute. And that I guess that's where that's where I think you and I have a tough time truly assessing a hitting coach yeah. and a pitching coach. Because you can say all the right things. Doug Brokale is not telling his relievers or his starters, for that matter, to go up and, hey, you know, let's make this interesting. Why don't you walk at least three guys tonight? You know, and and we want to teach mechanics that will lead to inconsistency with your strike throwing. They they're not teaching that, but it's up to the player at some point, especially at this age. We're not talking about a nine year old who is just still developing the foundation of his fundamentals. We're talking about professional major league baseball players. And yeah, I think a coach. We're not trying to belittle a coach's impact. A coach can absolutely have an impact, but at some point you cross a threshold where. You know, it's up to the player, and and especially for guys who, uh, you know, have been around for a little bit, like Mike Napoli. I just don't know how much a coach can truly help a Mike Napoli. He's been there. He's done that. He knows what he's got to do. Yeah. He's just got to do it. Yeah, and I remember Napoli a few years ago, Harold Reynolds talking about how he changed his hands, where he was loading his hands. He started loading them, I believe, a little bit lower, and that got him flatter in the zone when he was struggling in 2015. What turned him around from the bad Boston Red Sox in 15 to the good Ranger, to the pretty good Cleveland Indian guy was a little bit of his change of his hands and load. So adjustments can be made later in life 
uh, to try to change the bat path uh, because when you get older, your hands will get just a little bit slower. But I want to move on since you named uh, Doug Brokell and the pitching staff. I want to go to – Catch one quick okay. question? Yeah. Sorry, I had a, a conversation with uh, Hagee last night on extra innings, uh-huh. and he was, and understandably so, complaining about Carlos Gomez in the cleanup spot. Gomez has struggled recently. Uh, and, you know, my response was, well, there's just no good answer right now. You know, that you can't hit two in two different places. Nomar Mazar is kind of sort of starting to get back in the right direction, but you can't hit him third and fourth, uh, third and fourth. And until Beltre comes back, there's not a good answer. Yeah. And that's why we've chopped and changed. And Elvis Andrews is hitting the cleanup spot yeah. for this very reason. Just curious. And I know that right now the lineup is very fluid and always will be, and it always should be. But if you could pick one guy right now to be the cleanup hitter for the next week, just we don't have to have a big discussion. <laughs> Who would it be? Um, great question. This is not Gallo because Gallo's been in a big slump. It can't be Napoli the way he's been swinging the bat. I mean, is it Elvis? I think I would lean right now towards Elvis. Okay. Because he has the best chance of putting the ball in play hard. I'm not saying hit the ball of the park, even though he's done a great job of hitting the ball of the park this year, greatest of his career so far. But at least you feel confident that he's going to swing at strikes and put the ball in play and put some pressure on the defense. Yeah, and, and I, I thought about it on the drive home. And, you know, Hagee su- suggested, I don't think he was trying to – uh, stake his name to the suggestion, but it was like, well, what about the line of the shields? And, oh, God. Yeah, you know, absolutely not. But, you know, I think last year or the year before, the year before that, we would have said absolutely not to Elvis. But right now, yeah. I think we both agree that yeah. he might be, if we had to commit to one guy for a week, he might be the yeah. best option. Yeah. Now, I want to change yeah. now directions it's good. Yeah. to pitching. Yeah. Sorry. Because I- I'm so impressed with A.J. Griffin. Too bad he got gout because uh, somebody's like, hey, is he the MVP of this season? And I thought, well, if he didn't get gout and he had two more starts like he did, so he had pitched every time, I'd say yes. But he's been a really impressive pitcher for the Texas Rangers. And then also Andrew Kashner. So I want to give credit here is the Rangers picked up two two pitchers that pretty much all of Major League Baseball said no to. They said you can't pitch in the major leagues anymore. Not every team, but most teams did on those two guys. The Rangers have done a really good job with those two guys. I don't know how much they can keep it up because throwing complete game shutouts or throwing six innings with two runs or less for Andrew Kashner walking four guys. Yeah. That's it's going to be tough to keep it up. But so far those have been great pickups for the Rangers. Then I want to go to Nick Martinez. He's done his job as a minor league starting pitcher somewhat for that's kind of where I have him at. And then for him to go out there and pretty much give you a chance to win most of his start so far, He's doing his job. You, Darvish, he might be underperforming a little bit, but for the most part, I think he's doing his job. Cole Hamels was okay during his job. The one guy who isn't is the guy who, as we speak, it's it's a Thursday morning. He's going to start tonight, so it just matters when you listen to this podcast. Martin Perez has not done his job this year. So on a really positive note, every Texas Ranger starting pitcher has done their job. Hopefully they can keep that up. The defense, the offense, the bullpen, everything starts getting better and the rotation stays the same. But Martin Perez, I'm really hoping that we start getting good Martin Perez here pretty soon because it's at times being a former left-handed pitcher and mostly a starting pitcher, it's getting frustrating to me to kind of watch him veer off the map almost every game and then try to get back on the map. And usually he Just does that one but, inning. Yeah. It's, 
it, it's it's one of those things where I'm hoping for Martin Perez that the pitching is contagious because for the most part, everybody's throwing the ball pretty good except for him on a consistent basis. So you mentioned MVP in, in association with AJ yeah. Griffin. And yeah, you know, it's tough to give him if you were to name an MVP uh, so far this season because of the injury. But you know what? AJ Griffin to me was the MVP of yesterday's game for the Rangers. Yeah. And he didn't even, he didn't even step foot on the field. Yeah. But you want to know something? There wasn't anyone who stood out offensively other than Chu. I guess Chu, Chu would probably be the MVP of the game if we wanted to be serious. But to me, AJ Griffin's impact on yesterday's game was huge. Yes. And that is that he went nine innings the night before or the day before. And that allowed Banny to maneuver with a totally available bullpen. And that was a game yesterday that I think we thought we'd be seeing more of from the Rangers up to this point where, all right, the starters go toe-to-toe, nothing's really decided, it's your bullpen versus my bullpen, and my bullpen's going to kick your bullpen's ass because we've got a bunch of studs. And we haven't seen that from the Rangers yesterday, or uh, this year. We saw it yesterday where they got three scoreless from the bullpen. It wasn't dominant by any means. We're not talking three innings, eight strikeouts, one base runner, but they put up three zeros. And Matt Bush came on to close out a one-run win. And A.J. Griffin's a big part of that because yeah. Banny had full, uh, you know, a, a full complement of options to choose from, which, frankly, other than opening day, I don't know that he's really had because of you know how overworked to a degree this bullpen has had to be yeah. because as good as the rotation's been, it's not like this is a rotation that's consistently going seven. And this bullpen's been so bad that you come in, I, I expect you to finish the seventh, and you can't finish the seventh. So now we got to use another pitcher, and that guy can't finish the eighth. So now we're using another pitcher. And yeah. the next thing you know, the next day, three guys aren't available. Yeah. And hopefully, with the A.J. Griffin uh, start and then with the good job by the bullpen last night, that starts to change. Real quick, your opinion. Uh, and you have to remember the roles of the players. If I say A.J. Griffin, look, he's a back end of the rotation guy. That's why I'm super satisfied. Same with Cashner. If you say, hey, they're going to be your one-two starters next year, I'd say you're in big trouble. But they've done their job. Are you like me? You feel like everybody's done their job in the rotation to have a winning team except for Martin Perez? Yeah, and no, I, I agree with that. Uh, and I think the biggest issue with Perez, obviously, it's that one inning. And it seems like if he gets a lead... He doesn't do a good job of holding on to it, which is the exact opposite of AJ Griffin. I think. Yeah. I think Martin Perez leaves uh, leaves son to be desired. Yeah. But when he was younger, by the way, the coaching staff always felt like getting a lead for him was bad because as, he started as, pitching as differently. Weird as that sounded, they didn't. I mean, it was you want to take the lead, but they knew if they got the lead and it was just a a little lead, like hey, it's two to one now in the third inning. They felt like it was going to be two to two or three to two uh, by the time they got back up to bat again. It's weird. Why? Why are? I guess it's just it's a switch that flips. It is. Like, it's, is it's, it, did you have any? Like, if if I was, if we were, if me and some other guy were talking about a Mike Bassick team, yeah, w- was there anything about you as a pitcher where we'd say, yeah, he struggles with a lead or he struggles in? Usually, my uh, bullpen and guys would say, well, Mike, we're either going to be in the fifth or sixth inning in an hour because you're pitching really good. Or we're going to be losing by a lot because I would pitch quick. So the game could get going quickly where you would be deeper into a game fast. You'd like it if you were a person that really liked fast games. Or you'd get really frustrated with me because it seemed like I was pumping bad strikes and getting hit pretty hard. And then you'd have to go to the bullpen. Was that something that you did? Did you work with a quick tempo because it was best for you? Or you also felt like it was best for your fielders behind you? Both. First me. 
Because if it's yeah, not you got best it, yeah. for you, then you I mean, too it. bad for the players. It's but yeah, I always felt like getting the ball and going always helped me out. Always kept me being the aggressor. Because I think when you start taking your time and everybody's different, but if I started taking my time and thinking more and like, ah, you know, fastball away, maybe I should go change up here and you know, and you start thinking about that, you're not really pitching with confidence and you're not really being the aggressor. How much better do you think, and I know this is case by case, and, and I'm asking you to generalize every pitcher, which isn't fair, but if, if you could answer this generally, if all pitchers adopted the Mark Burley approach, which was don't shake out the catcher, whatever the catcher throws down, I'm throwing. If the catcher gives me 17 fingers, I'm going to throw whatever pitch that means. Don't think, get on the rubber, throw whatever the catcher says, and be done with it. If all pitchers adopted that and eliminated some of the thinking out of it, uh, how much better would pitchers be? Or, or, or I Gosh. guess, let me ask you this. How it's much better would a guy question. like Martin Perez be? I I think he would be better. The one thing that you have to have if you're Burley or Bassick, and we were totally different because he was awesome and I wasn't, is our mechanics stayed good throughout the game. With the tempo. It wasn't something, well, just the leg lift, the balance, the release point, the reaching out, the finishing the pitch. For the most part, we were going to be consistent with our mechanics, which led to usually being able to throw strikes. When you look at a guy like Martin Perez, uh, he loses it, right? And so at times he does need to back off the tempo. If you throw ball one, ball two, ball three, stop pitching. Somebody come talk to him or get him to walk around the mound to the back of the grass and reestablish what is going on. Why can't I throw a strike anymore? Instead of, because I think if you just get the ball and keep throwing, you're just going to keep throwing balls. Got it. So there are times, even like I want Martin Perez to throw with a good tempo, there are times where he needs to stop. So you think that, you know, we've been doing some of these Frisco games, so they got the 20-second pitch clock in AA. You think the pitch clock could perhaps do more harm than good for Perez? Not so much for Perez. I don't. Okay. I don't mind Perez on a pitch clock. Uh, when I think of Giovanni Gallardo or oh, David sure, yeah. Price, they Guys would be in, they would be in big trouble. Yeah, because they don't know how to pitch like that. Martin Perez, but could it, pretty, could it get him in a bad way if he's not going? It could. That's the one thing about usually if you start losing it, you want to take your time. It's almost like if you could have the pitcher have two or three timeouts during the pitch clock and say, okay, hey. I know I'm on a 20 second. I need 45 second time. I need 20 seconds extra here to refine it. All right. So we got some questions quickly. Uh, We'll go uh, rapid fire with these from Mitchell. Do you think the team's turning a corner after the last two wins, or will be back and forth, or or will it be a back and forth struggle to stay at or near 500 for the year? I think they're going to turn a corner here because of schedule. I'm really hoping that they take advantage of the uh, game left against San Diego. Then they get, I know Philadelphia's on the schedule, and I believe Oakland. Am I correct about that? Oakland, yeah, Oakland's next. Okay, so then, and then Philadelphia comes up after that. So these are teams that are very beatable teams. So I'm hoping that they can string together some wins here because I'm afraid, Jared, with the schedule, if they struggle with the last game with San Diego and split the series, and then they struggle again with Oakland and Philadelphia, and let's just say in those games they go three and three then you start looking at it and you're just saying, I know it's early, but we're not really racking up wins against teams that are going to be below 500 at the end of the year. I would love for this team to at some point be 10 to 15 games over 500, but you know, remember, 81 wins is 500. If you go 81 and 81, you're a 500 team. 
I think the Rangers are probably, you know, we're looking, we would be really happy if I told you they were going to win 85 games this year with the way things have started. You'd be pumped about that. So that's uh, that's 85 and 76. So, uh, or no, 85 and 77. Yeah. So that's eight games over 500. So it's not like it's not like last year where they're, you know, bordering on 20 games over 500. I, I don't know that we get to that point. But I do think this is a team that could be over 500. But, you know, it might be a little bit before we, we are comfortably yeah. uh, looking at a, hey, a record better than 500. 18 more in a row, and that's the 20-game winning streak. Well, then and we're it's, fine. It's Hulk Hogan time. Then we're, yeah, then we're golden. Uh, all right, so this one from Peter. If the Rangers have to trade Darvish at the deadline, what kind of prospect uh, can we expect to get back? I, I'll, let me rephrase the question to make it easier to answer at this point. What would you want to get? What type of package would you want to get in return for you, Darvish? If uh, I want a starting pitcher who is going to probably be 2018 ready, so a guy that's probably in AAA, when people start saying, well, I want this major leaguer or that major leaguer off of a team, well, that team's trading for you, Darvish, on a one-year, really short-term contract that they can't look to the future of you, Darvish. They are trying to win it all right then. They cannot trade another major league contributing player to their team. Ask the Oakland A's about trading Suspedes and getting starting pitching and then going, oh, God, we really screwed this up. We can't hit anymore without Suspedes. You cannot trade big league guys for you, Darvish, that are on the team now. But I want probably a guy that's in AAA, a really good pitching prospect that's in AAA that I believe can be in my rotation to start the year, and then a position player. Uh, I would like it to be an outfielder, honestly. A center fielder, preferably, but I will take an outfielder. So I, I would just go with, I, I agree with two. You kind of went with two. I, I yeah. think you could get like three or four prospects. Okay. but I'm going with two guys that I believe right. can help. If they want to throw in some extra yeah. cheddar, go ahead. No, no, that, that's my point. I, I think you could get a package that returns three or four guys, but to me, I want to know that two of the guys in that deal are studs, and I personally, I would prefer both of those guys to be pitchers. Okay, uh, both of those studs. But if, if as long as there are two studs that are coming back, I'd be super pumped about it. Absolutely. Okay, there you go. That's the Hello Win po- uh, Column podcast. He's the TV star known as Mike Bassick. I'm Jared Sandler. Thanks for joining us back next week here on 105.3 The Fan.